Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this time of worship. As we uh, come back together again under the Word, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Let me pray for us as we prepare to go to God's Word. Would you bow with me? Father, we come to Your Word and we ask that You would accompany the, the reading and preaching of Your Word with the mighty presence of Your Spirit. Open our hearts to hear, to receive, and to believe this Word. In Christ's name, Amen. As we look to this passage, I want to draw your attention to two words. Belief and life. As I read this text, I want to ask you to to listen for, for these truths. That belief is an element of assurance and that life is a result of belief. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the Word of the Lord. I asked you to consider the word life. It's actually where the text lands. So what do we mean by life? Is life merely uh, an accumulation of cells that are functioning and living? Now, some would espouse a, a worldview that would define life in these terms, but I believe that very few of us desire that to be true, maybe even those who espouse that worldview. Even those who reject God or the, or the notion of a Creator want more out of life than an accumulation of functioning cells. When we speak of life, aren't we really talking about the experience of living? 
I believe so. And I believe that is what this text points us to. And so the question is, what is it that impacts our experience of living? The text tells us it is belief. Over the past few weeks, we've spoken of, uh, with, a, uh, with a focus on truth. Last week, a focus on, on love. And they come together this week with a focus on belief. Though belief has been in the background over these past weeks in 1 John, it comes into focus today. And we'll see a little bit more about what it has to say about belief, but starting with the fact that belief, true belief, is both given and active. Verse 1 opens, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes. What do we mean by belief? It must be, it is, by definition, more than saying that I believe something is possible. In other words, uh, when we say we believe, we're, we're not merely saying, I believe that could be true. No, belief uh, in the original Greek here speaks to believing something to be true and therefore worthy of being trusted. Now, this belief, this believing something to be true and worthy uh, of being trusted, uh, those who have this belief, the text says, have been born of God. This belief, therefore, is evidence of something. It's evidence of the new birth. Now, we've spent some time talking about the new birth, and we don't have to go into it in great detail this morning, but I'll simply say, Biblically, to be born again means to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit so that we receive a radically new nature, a a new heart orientation, a new ability to, to understand and to know God. And this work of new birth is a work that... Uh, that, that is initiated by God, and the new birth therefore precedes faith. It's a work of sovereign grace. So the text is telling us that if we have this faith, this belief, it is evidence that the work of new birth has been done by the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing we see about belief that it has been given. But it's also active. It's lived out, and it's lived out in our obedience and in our love. It's a helpful question for us as we consider this. Uh, What are you obeying? Who are you obeying? The text uh, connects obedience and love. The place where we're seeking life. So our obedience indicates that place where we're seeking life. It confirms the object of our belief. I actually think my dog Lucy is a helpful uh, illustration here. Those of you who have been to my house and, and know my dog might disagree with me, but I actually believe that Lucy is fairly well trained. That is, if by training we mean knowledge of the commands. She understands the commands that I am uh, saying. She has the ability 
to obey them, but what I find with Lucy is there is a gap between her knowledge and her obedience. But I've noticed something fairly striking. That gap diminishes when I have a dog biscuit in my hand. When I have that dog biscuit and I utter a command, her obedience is near perfect. Now, what does that tell you? Well, she knows the command. She knows how to obey. But she will obey only when obedience serves her true love. The dog biscuit. You see, Lucy may know about obedience. She may know about the commands. But she's not seeking life in obedience or connection to her master. Lucy is seeking life in the dog biscuit. (laughs) What about you? Where are you seeking life? And what might that say about your belief? The text goes on to tell us that belief has a specific object. Jesus. The point's simple, but it needs stating that in this text that calls us to belief is not calling us to a broad general belief. Every Christmas season, Macy's department store puts out an advertising campaign. One word, believe. Now, Macy's is not telling you what to believe in. It's not telling you what the object of your belief ought to be. They're just Encouraging you to believe. I guess the point there is that believing in something is better than believing in nothing. Many of us actually adopt a similar philosophy when it comes to spirituality. Just be spiritual. It is a faith in this this general notion of spirituality. Now, if that is you, I just want to tell you I'm glad that you're listening. You are uh, most likely looking for meaning and, and something, and, and you desire not to exclude anyone. And I, I'm just thankful that you're listening and encourage you in that desire. And I'll state that uh, you and I are both looking for, uh, for meaning, for hope. But the Bible, the, the Christian faith would tell us that this hope, this meaning, is not found in broad, uh, general spirituality, but rather in the person of Jesus Christ. It tells us that Jesus is good, that Jesus is true, that Jesus is beautiful, and as we have seen over the past couple of weeks, and last week specifically, that Jesus is the very definition of love. But, Jesus is also strong. Jesus will not be manipulated by us in some effort to get what it is that we've wanted all along. You see, that is what idols are there for. And Jesus is not an idol. Jesus is God incarnate. And the text points us to Him and to Him alone as the true life-giving object of belief. It does this, in fact, by pointing us to three witnesses. 
These three witnesses are the, the basis of our belief, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. I understand this bears some explaining, but I'll put these verses back before you. Verses 6 through 8 tell us this. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. What are we to make of these verses? They, uh, they seem a little confusing at first. What, what is John referring to by the water and the blood? Well, as always, context provides key. We, we know that the Bible interprets the Bible, um, and so we look to the broader context of what John is telling us in 1 John. And if you'll remember, earlier in this letter, we have heard that John was writing against the false teachers. Some of those false teachers were the Gnostics. The Gnostics uh, did not believe that Jesus came in bodily form, that 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 God became incarnate. That took on a, maybe a variety of different nuanced beliefs, but some of the Gnostics would teach that Jesus became the Christ at His baptism, but ceased to become to be the Christ before His crucifixion. That would be a definition of false teaching and is why he has defined the Antichrist such that he has as, def- as affirming the person and work of Jesus. So now here uh, he speaks of the testimony of the water and the blood, referring to two key moments in Jesus' life and ministry bookends of His ministry, His baptism, and His crucifixion. Now think about this. If, if Jesus was there, at his, if He came in water only, it would affirm that He was Christ at His baptism, but not at His crucifixion. And that would be a heresy that would render His death as impotent. It would render His death as uh, as accomplishing nothing because it would not have been God the Son on the cross. But Jesus was the Christ from beginning to end, and John affirms that by speaking of Him coming by the water, His baptism, and by the blood crucifixion. He was Jesus the Christ, God incarnate, throughout His life and His death, and His resurrection, and because of that, you and I have hope. John is speaking of the water and the blood to define the union between Jesus' divine and human natures, pointing to the events of His life and work as testimonies to His personhood. And these testimonies, the water and the blood, are here taking the witness stand, making the case for Christ, but they do not stand alone. They stand with and in agreement with the Spirit of God. The Spirit joins the water and the blood, testifying to the incarnation of Jesus, and the three agree. How does the Spirit testify to the truth of Jesus' identity? 
Well, in a variety of ways, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit of God descended upon Him in the form of a dove, affirming the triune union that, is, that has existed within the Godhead from before the beginning of time. The Spirit of God testifies to the personhood and the work of Jesus through the apostles and the prophets authoring the Word of God, which throughout speaks to the person and work of Jesus. And the Spirit of God testifies to the person and work of Jesus as He dwells within the hearts of believers, bringing about the new birth, enlightening us in the truth of God's Word. The Spirit of God testifies to the person and work of Jesus agreeing with the water and the blood and, the, and in the court of opinion, the credibility of the witness is crucial. The water, the blood, and the Spirit are credible witnesses that the text tells us offer a testimony that is greater than the testimony of man. And so to reject this testimony is to in fact call God a liar. So the question before us then is what gets in the way of belief? For some of us, it's hardness of heart. Maybe our hearts have not yet been open to belief by the Holy Spirit through new birth. But maybe for some of us, we have actively rejected Him. Either way, if this is you, I, I beg you to consider the witness of Scripture. To weigh the case for Christ presented to us throughout the Word and specifically in this text. To seek the counsel of a, of a godly friend who might guide you to to see and understand these truths, to seek the counsel of the Lord in prayer, to consider your own desire for a broad general spirituality in comparison to the logical case for Christ presented here and in seeing the truth of who Jesus is, I invite you to come to belief, to call on the name of the Lord. But there are others of us listening to this sermon who have indeed confessed Christ, but yet who still struggle with a gap between what we declare as belief and what we experience as obedience. Some of us struggle to live out the abundant life that Jesus has promised. Some of us have fooled ourselves into thinking that we are Christians having uh, offered some verbal acknowledgement of Christ, but we have merely tried to manipulate Him to provide the abundant life that we have desired on our own terms. So what is it for you? Where have you placed belief in your search for life? We come back to where we began. Life. What is the life that belief is meant to bring? The text tells us about the eternal life that is given to us by God through Jesus. 
through Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, through His victorious life, we receive this eternal life. And it is applied to us through faith alone. And in this faith, we have overcome the world. The text tells us that we share in the victory of Jesus over Satan, over sin, and over this world. Over death itself. This is the blessing of eternal life that we receive in glory with Jesus. Its importance cannot be overstated, yet sadly, oftentimes we stop there. We stop there thinking of this life only in the future tense. This text calls us to reflect on belief itself and then to believe in Jesus, His person and works, so that through Him we might have life eternal and life now. The text ended. Verses 11 and 12, And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Has. It's the present tense. So how are we to understand and experience the presentness of life in Christ? If I could, I'd, I'd like to draw a connection between belief as we have defined it uh, to a different word, focus. Are we focused in our lives in this belief in Jesus Christ? You see, when we actually believe, when we believe with a true, authentic, actionable belief, Jesus then becomes the focus in our lives. And through that focus on Him, we begin to find life. So what gets in the way of focus? Once upon a time, I was a textile guy. I grew up in a textile town. I majored in textiles in college. And once upon a time, I was even a textile banker. <laughs> I remember one particular company that intrigued me. It was a simple old school cotton yarn company based in Gastonia, North Carolina. But this old school company had a very new school, modern office complex. You see, their offices weren't really offices. They, didn't, or they weren't defined by uh, set-apart walled spaces. It was a general open workspace. Now, some of us might think about that and think it would be awfully hard to have a private conversation in that type of setting, but you see this old school company understood the power of white noise. And so in this broad open space, they, they piped in white noise because they knew that the white noise would drown out the conversation. In other words, noise would compete with noise and prevent us from focusing on what it is that others were saying. It's pretty ingenious for an old school company. But for many of us, white noise is not a helpful tool, but an unwelcome, sometimes unrecognized inhibitor. It takes away our ability to focus. 
and therefore takes away our ability to experience life. What's the white noise in your life that is preventing you from truly focusing on Jesus? Could it be busyness? Could it be uh, activity? What, what is it for you? And how has that white noise impacted your experience of union in Christ? How has it muddied the waters of belief so that you are finding yourself unable to find and experience life? What is the white noise in your life saying about your true object of belief? And what might it mean for you to take stock of your life so that you can let go of that white noise? You know, for others of us, it's not the white noise of life that distracts us from focus, but rather it is misplaced focus. Those lesser desires that don't produce life, but actually take it. And you don't have to be a a middle-aged man or or woman to struggle with the white noise of life, but there are certain circumstances in that stage of life that make us more susceptible to it. The same token, you don't have to be a teenager to struggle with, uh, with misplaced desire, misplaced focus, but there are certain circumstances in that stage of life that make the teenagers more susceptible to it. So teens or others, do you find yourself saying that you believe in Jesus, but understand that He is not your focus in life? Do you find yourself thinking, maybe one day, uh, but for now, I've got more pressing, more immediate needs. I'll get to Jesus But right now, I need to be desired. Right now, I need to be approved of. Right now, I need to be liked. I need to be liked by my friends. I need to be liked, desired, approved of by members of the opposite sex. And are those desires taking the focus in your life? If so, how are they doing in providing life? Are they life-giving? Or are they fueling an endless cycle of striving and pain? Understand, when I ask these questions, I am not accusing. We all struggle with this pull towards lesser desires. All of us from time to time give in to those desires, allowing them to steal our focus away from Christ and thus our ability to experience life in Christ. I don't ask these questions because I'm accusing. I'm I'm trying to draw out through them. And so what might uh, these lesser desires, let's not call them lesser, let's just call them desires. What might your desires be saying about your true object of belief? Regardless of age, Regardless of sex, regardless of station in life, all of us are searching for what we dream of 
as the victorious life. The text promises us victory. The text promises victory not only in heaven, but also now. Do you want this? This is how the passage defines victory. Victory equals faith. Verse 4, Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Victory equals faith. Abiding belief. They're synonymous. And so would you define your faith as victorious? Why? Or, better yet, why not? Maybe it gets back to the way we have defined victory. Growing up, my brother and I used to play the board game life. Have you played this game? It's a game meant to mimic the ups and downs, the successes and failures of a life lived to completion. Now, the game of life, like all board games, has a written set of rules. And when you pull out those rules, it also has a section that tells you the object of the game. In other words, it tells you the object of the game of life. Listen to this. The object of the game of life. Travel the path of life, making decisions, building a family, earning money and paying some out too, buying homes and collecting life tiles. And listen to this. Have the highest value at the end of the game and win. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Tally up all the goods at the end. And the one with the most is the one who wins. It's clear, and it's also easy to tell who wins the victory, and so maybe that's one of the reasons my brother and I played it so much. It's easy for us to know who won and who lost. So time and time again, we would go at it over the game of life. But here's the thing. Time and time again, at the end of the game, we would take all the pieces and all the homes and all the cars and all the money and put it back in the box. Where are you seeking life? How are you defining victory? Does your concept of life sound a lot like the board game? If so, please hear this. This passage does not speak about the object of the game of life. This passage speaks to the experience of life, eternal and now. And it tells us that whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Friends, this is life, abundant. And it is experienced in union with Jesus. So boldly, from the Word of God, I implore you, believe in Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, and in Him and in Him alone have life. Father, I pray for all of us, myself and the listeners, that we would hear Your Word, that we would be focused in our belief, that we would know that this call to belief has a basis in Your Word and that we would indeed believe and act in accordance with our belief with a focus on Jesus that is life-giving. Do this, I pray, for all of us. In the name of Christ, Amen.